Hey everyone, welcome to the Interview Expert Podcast. I'm your host, Owen Murray, an interview coach, podcaster, and recruitment manager. Thanks to each and every one of you who come back to listen, learn, and grow. This podcast is where hiring managers from diverse backgrounds share their insights to support you on your interview journey. Join us as we explore tips, strategies, and real-world experiences to help you ace your next interview and land your dream job. And welcome to today's episode, The Power of Networking. I'm excited to have a special guest with me today, Claire Carroll, the founder of Claire Carroll Coaching. Claire is an executive and career coach dedicated to guiding mid-career professionals through transitions with confidence and clarity. Get ready to gain valuable insights into how powerful networking can be and how that one person you meet could shape your whole career journey. So let's dive in. But before we get into it, I have one favor to ask you. The majority of people who watch and listen to this podcast have yet to hit the follow or subscribe button. I can't tell you how important this is. If you hit that follow or subscribe button, I will get more guests that you want to see. And thank you for lending me your ears, whether you're walking, running, at the gym, walking the dog, cooking, whatever you're up to. Thanks for listening to The Interview Expert. Claire, how are you? Welcome to the show. Thanks, Owen. Great to be here. Great to have you on. Um, Claire, for our listeners, can you tell me a bit about your story? Wow. <laughs> Big question. <laughs> I'm 43, Owen. <laughs> how much time do we have? <laughs> My 40s um, myself, Claire, so I understand. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I realized re- this week, it's like I'm 43. I'm literally the definition of middle-aged. And sorry for any listeners who are similar age to me, but... If I hit 86 and I'm healthy and hearty, I'd be delighted with myself. Tell me a number. Um, let me see my story. So I am currently working as an executive coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do individual coaching, group coaching, some training as well. And I deliver stuff for various people. Prior to that, well, I took a career break of six or seven months. Uh, I had worked in Google for 10 years. Before that, I'd worked in ad agencies in Ireland and in New Zealand. Um, funny enough, I was just telling the client this morning, I got my first proper job in a pub. Right. So uh, my degree is actually in psychology and I'm sure much to my parents' disappointment, though they never shared it with me at the time. I then started working on reception and doing secretarial work and stuff in Dublin and various different companies. And I ended up on the reception desk of the Sunday Tribune newspaper. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I remember the Tribune, yeah. Nice broad Sunday broadsheet. Matt yes. Cooper was the editor at the time of <clears throat> Today FM now. But anyway, okay. Uh, anyway, I was in the pub on a Friday, toners of Baggett Street, and someone got fired from the advertising sales department. And the not so sober manager came over. I heard you want to work in advertising. Do you want to start? We've got a role. Come in on Monday. So uh, uh, innocent, uh, conservative Claire at the time, age 23, was like, what the hell is going on here? Phoned my dad who said, go in there Monday morning with your held, held high. Tell that man he offered you a job. Take the job and do a bloody good job of it. So mm. I was like, great. Um, so I did. And that happened because I'd actually was meant to start uh, an advertising diploma full time, like during the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I managed to switch that to an evening course. Uh, and I was working, which I really wanted to do. I really wanted to just get into the workforce. I had had enough of college. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so jobs can come from anywhere. 
Amazing, <laughs> yes. And, uh, I think you're, you're talking about the power of networking there. Even if, if you're in Toners on a Friday or Saturday night, you never know who you'll meet uh, and what it can lead to as well. Um, that's, that, and yeah you're right because I had told kind of some of my colleagues what I actually wanted to do they're like well you know what are you doing working on reception kind of thing you know mm -hmm. um, so telling people what you want it, it seems so obvious but is an amazing tool to getting what you want absolutely yeah um, and Claire so um, this is kind of closely linked to this question is closely linked to what you just mentioned there but how did your early life experiences shape your career choices? Wow, great question. Um, so let me see. I, yeah, I kind of, I always wanted to help people as cheesy and unoriginal as that sounds. Like it's really true. Um, like I, I chose psychology as a degree because I was much more quiet when I was younger than I am now. Mm -hmm. um, and I was just really more, I guess, observing and more kind of on the edges of groups and things and watching people interacting and just soaking it all in. And I was fascinated by human behavior and groups and how people kind of established the alphas and the betas and the cliques in school and the ins and outs of it all. And I had some relations who were psychologists. I did my work experience with them for a couple of weeks and decided that I'd go for it. Um, uh, then realized that I wanted to get into the workforce rather than do the master's and the PhD and the unpaid or low paid tough work that goes with that route. Mm -hmm. um, and advertising and marketing and HR and PR were kind of the other buckets of what psychology graduates can do. Um, but I must say after that, that Tribune job, Sunday Tribune job was tough, right? It was flipping through the golden pages and trying to sell classified ads to the unsuspecting cold callers that I was ringing and it was a grind and it was not intellectually stimulating mm -hmm. but it was great crack working in a newspaper environment and I had some lovely colleagues and some tough colleagues in that world um and again actually through the power of networking one of my colleagues used to work in an ad agency and uh, the managing director of that ad agency was my lecturer in the now evening course in advertising and marketing that I was doing and a reception, receptionist job opened up. Um, my colleague in the Tribune was like, you know, go and give Paul a ring. Like, tell him, tell him you want to get into advertising. And I was like, oh, go back to reception, seriously. So I remember the job. It was a thousand, God, we were pounds a euro at the time. We were a euro. A uh, thousand pounds less. And going backwards. And I was like, no, it's what I want. I'm going to do it. Uh, within three weeks of that job, someone else left and everyone got a bump up. So I was in, I was a TV buyer, a media buyer, working on their big account in the company, which was McDonald's restaurants at the time. And I'm, I stayed in that company for seven years and it was wonderful. It was 12 to 14 people in a bigger company of maybe 20 or 30 in the rest of the, the creative side of the house. We were media. Um, media buying roles at the time were great for a person in their 20s who likes going out. So I remember for the first seven Fridays in a row, I was in some lovely restaurant in Dublin being wined and dined by the media owners, the newspapers, the TV stations, the radio stations, how it worked. Maybe still how it works. I don't know how it worked at the time. I was out every Thursday night with my work colleagues. O'Brien's of Leeson Street. I've spent half my wages in there. Um, and it was it was great. I learned a lot on the job. 
I had some lovely clients. I had some great colleagues. I think there's seven or eight marriages came out of the time that I spent in that company. They just hired so well. Um, and my boss at the time is just someone that I respected and admired and got on so well. He's so human. He's so down to earth. He knew like everyone just wanted to work really hard and do the best that they could do for him. And I think, again, learning through observing how he managed people, how he conducted himself at work, how he managed clients, how he dealt with mistakes or failures mm -hmm. um, and just took the learnings out of them and, you know, try it again. I think before I ever read any management book or people leadership book, I had just such an amazing grounding in how it's people first, you know. Yeah. What's the, what's the phrase? Culture eats strategy for breakfast or whatever that bloody awful phrase is. Um, like you need to hire the people with the right skills and the right attitudes. You need to create a working environment where people want to do their best. And if you make a mistake, fine, just don't make it again, <laughs> you know, and learn from it. Um, and it was just so human and pragmatic and down to earth. Yet we had a nice ambition. And I think, uh, yeah, I think that like that was such an amazing grounding in my early career to be so long in that company and actually I went off after a year traveling backpacking around the world and then I had a choice of roles when I came back and I chose to go back to that company yeah that that's really interesting and uh, you know and it, I think to our listeners out there as well when you find a company like that it's the kind of hold on with uh with, with two hands to it <laughs> um um do you, do you, it's a while ago now, I'd say, Claire, but can you think back to the interview process there? And did you, were you able to manage to see what this company was like before you got into it? Or was it more sort of took a punt on it and then you realized how good the company was? But was there any way sort of that you were able to find that out in the interview process? Yeah, well, I think one, I had like the, the colleague I was working with in the Sunday Tribune raved about this company and the people and the management. Okay. Um, I knew it was what I wanted. It was a media job with kind of more numbers based, not the creative side of advertising, which was my strength strategy and stuff. Um, and then I, I had the luck to be kind of exposed to my future boss because he was lecturing me in the course. So I could see that he was very competent and he seemed sound. Uh, now, I remember wondering if the lecturer personality would translate into, you know, eight hours a day in an office. Um, and it did. But I, I felt I had the recommendation from someone that I liked and trusted that I worked with. Mm -hmm. And I had already exposure to one of the main people. Um, I remember, you know, that thing like sitting in. So when interviews were in person at the time, which usually they're not these days. But I remember sitting in reception. And people kind of coming in and out were like friendly, saying hello and chatting to the receptionist. And they just felt like a good culture. It felt like a good sized company for me. Mm. And I think at the time I was desperate to change jobs because I could not spend more days flipping through the golden pages and cold calling people. It was, you know, not what I was put on this planet to do. <laughs> there was a time limit on that work for me. Um, but yeah, I think like the like trying to associate the culture of a place is important, but it's it, mm. and it's the, the hardest thing to do. Yeah, and, and what you did there was was excellent. Like getting the recommendation from someone who you know knows the business and works in the business, um, and can tell you probably more about the business than you would ever find out in the interview process, right? Yeah. Um, so and an, honest, an honest opinion, a warts and all opinion. 
absolutely absolutely you need to know about the the warts as well i suppose if you want to phrase it like that um but yeah um and and that will help you make an, a more informed decision at the end of the process right um so uh yeah it's something i always say to my clients that if you know someone in there you know why not set up a, a casual coffee with them and you'll get you know more from that coffee than you'll probably get from any interview yeah. that you do with them um but yeah, yeah that, I agree. And I think later in life then, so I um, went through a redundancy situation then much later in my career. And at the time, I remember getting great advice again from a colleague who was so lovely to me, quite a senior person. She gave me a good bit of her time and she had been through this before, which I couldn't believe. Mm. Twice, actually, just when teams had been disbanded and relocated and all the rest. She had four questions that she asked when she was networking and trying to find out information about teams or orgs or companies and to the person the person you're having the casual coffee with it's what's your favorite part of the job mm-hmm. what's your least favorite part of the job mm-hmm. if you were to hire a colleague what are you looking for in that colleague and is there anyone else you could put me in touch with that you think would be useful to me and there I've uh, stolen that advice with pride and pass it on to many of my clients because they're easy enough questions that people can answer. They don't feel that they need to dig into some sort of, you know, philosophy on careers or leadership or whatever. They're open enough that people can give the level of detail they're comfortable with. Um, and they're human. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I love those questions. Even at the, uh, and what I actually say is, uh, who can you put me in, in contact with? So be positive assumptive, you know. To, to link me to, to the next person you mentioned redundancy there claire like uh, mm. you talked to someone uh, who has been made redundant three times uh in their career how did redundancy make you feel oh at the time terrible like it was um uh let me see it was before i was working in tech it was before the before the tech waves that came subsequently um HR meeting landed in my calendar, didn't know what it was about, thought it was a problem with the team, redundancies weren't on the radar. And then the kind of, you know, company spiel, it's it's not personal, it's business, it's a restructure and nothing to do with performance and all the rest, which was true, but like, doesn't help in the moment. Uh, I remember just focusing on on trying not to cry in the meeting Mm. and uh, listening. I didn't ask a lot of questions and then got off the call and cancelled my meetings for the rest of the day and bawled my eyes out I felt like it felt it felt personal I felt uh singled out um and all the rest um there was a big emotional roller coaster that I went through I had a huge upheaval in my personal life a year previous as well uh broken relationship two very young kids was still COVID uh so it was a tough I was like you know Jesus the universe what else are you going to throw at me um however uh i've been in the company for 10 years it was a generous redundancy check which a lot of people depending on the company don't get the opportunity to do mm-hmm. and i have a load of friends who are psychologists which are a very useful bunch of very close long time god to friends for 25 years now uh very good in a crisis um and i remember one good friend saying what you really need in your life right now is time and space and you're getting a nice check to fund that so What's the actual problem here? <laughs> and you know, and she was so right, I just couldn't see it. 
Um, and then I think when I discovered talking through contacts or colleagues or connections who had been through this before, you're like, oh, this is a thing that happens, people. Like in a career that's going to span 40, 45 years, maybe longer, you know, really crap things happen. Mm. Um, I had plenty of skills. I have plenty of strengths. I have a great network, very capable, all those things. But I didn't feel it at the time. I was just so exhausted from personal life and from, you know, from working in a high paced environment in sales in tech for a long time. Um, so I was very fortunate to be able to take a good bit of time out. I took six or seven months off. Um, uh, sorry, I did a mat leave contract. Uh, I took some time off and I it was over the summer. I did personal training for the first time that I'd never done. I bought a new bike. I'm into cycling, got a nice new bike headed for the hills Um, found a cycling gang to hang out with. Um, I watched daytime telly and did nothing like went from a person who loved achieving and doing and getting through a to do list and looking for the next promotion and the next opportunity and the next project to just really trying to not achieve things during the day. Like I didn't even get around to doing the garden or clearing out the cupboards and focus on the kids, playing with them and myself on sleeping, trying to eat a bit better on resting. Like in the Western world, we just don't value rest, proper rest. The way that they do on other continents. Um, We're always just so busy and trying to do uh, met up with friends for coffee. I had quite a few friends who were like on mat leave or paternity leave or working shorter weeks uh, or not working over the summer. Took a few trips to lovely places in Ireland. Um, and yeah, just uh, recovered from what life had thrown at me. Um, then got itchy feet and needed intellectual stimulation, which I knew that I would from my maternity leaves. I I, I knew that the old brain needed a bit of fuel. Um, and I'd actually had done a coaching course, which I was always interested in. So coaching for me was that really good blend of interest in people, what makes them tick, what motivates them, what makes them happy. Uh, and the psychology behind that, the emotional intelligence and awareness and how we make decisions and all that with having loved managing people like I was fine at sales but I really loved managing people and look sometimes I was a great manager sometimes I was not a good fit for people that happened I mean I've managed 100 or 150 people that happens um but coaching was a really good blend of that business part and the kind of psychology people part um and look as you know yourself it's nerve-wracking going into business for yourself but I was like no back yourself Claire give it six months try and put the things in place the things that you can control do those Mm-hmm. Um, and the way goals work for me is I set something that I know I can achieve. And then I set a stretch and another stretch. Some people like shooting for the sun, moon and stars. Um, you know, I prefer to build that works for me. So yeah, here we are like a year, a year and a bit later. Uh, Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. And, uh, yeah, look, I, I empathize with you about the being made redundant piece. Um, you know, um, I was made redundant for, from a tech firm as well. Uh, second lockdown, second baby. Just <laughs> uh, probably the last thing I needed was to be made redundant. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, when it happens, I think you take it a bit personally. Like it's and it's hard not to take it personally um, that you didn't do a good enough job, and that's why you were singled out as being made redundant. And that is not the case. Um, you know, especially for these company wide redundancies, uh, they're happening more and more these days. So. 
I think what you did there was amazing. You took time for yourself. You spent time with your kids. You took up cycling. Um, you know, that's not an easy thing to do after such a, a horrible thing happening in your in your professional life. Um, but it's about remembering that uh, to, as you said, to back yourself. And that's actually, a, a, it's funny you say that because that is something I always say to my clients before they go into an interview, back yourself and go in and you'll do a good job. And if you back yourself and do your best, that's all you can do. Um, so yeah, I love that, love that expression. I just, uh, when you said it there, I was like, oh, wow, that's something I uh, really, uh, you know, can relate to. Um, yeah, I, I keep yeah. having to say that to myself sometimes as well. And you're obviously, uh, you know, similar to me, Claire, you could your own business and you have to back yourself. Um, you know, and uh, when you have those bad days, that's when you have to back yourself even more, right? <laughs> yeah, um, totally, totally. Because it's all whether you're working for yourself or working for a company. We always have bad days. You know, it's to be yeah. expected. Um, and I think another thing that was beneficial was it was a good, it was actually a good time in career phase and life phase for me to stop mm -hmm. and reflect and think about what was really important for me. Mm -hmm. And again, I've been privileged. I'm from a lovely middle class background. I'm college educated. You know, I've worked, gone to small companies and big companies and I've, I've worked hard mm -hmm. um, and I'd earned enough to be able to buy a house and kind of set a good foundation. So that time to reflect allowed me to think time right now in these next few years is more important to me than finances because yeah. I know I, I did actually doing a financial plan a proper household budget and like rejigging the bills and seeing what you can cut out and what you can afford and being a bit more frugal and sensible really helped ease the anxiety that I had around not earning and not providing for my family because I you know I've always been the breadwinner um and really being very intentional which I still have to do to myself and saying what my kids need right now is more time with me Okay. Uh, and what my, you know, or my parents and my brother needs is more time from me, <laughs> not more money to buy them more branded stuff or more toys. Um, yes. Do you know, and it's, it's, again, it's obvious to say, but I find it hard to do because you're living in an environment where lots of the kids around here have lots of stuff. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I want to be jumping in the trampoline with them, not taking the call to the States mm -hmm. for the blah, blah, catch up meeting for the yada, yada, whatever. You know, and it's, it's, uh, that's more important or going off and taking time for myself which is thing that parents of young kids and mothers in particular really struggle to carve out time for themselves for hobbies and things yeah. you know so yeah. absolutely you know. like working for yourself has a lot of benefits right and I find that myself that I get to spend more time with my kids and it's just so important at this time in life to be able to do that um for my for the audience, I have a three and a five year old, and I think yours are similar age, Claire. Yeah, uh, six and four. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's a really important time in life to to be involved and be there and be present for your kids, right? Um. So yeah, really. And look, you, you touched on it there as well. Like, it's so important to take care of your mental health. Like, there is something called burnout that can happen, and I have seen it happen in some of the tech firms I've worked for. Uh, some employees actually reaching burnout and having to take, you know, an extended time of leave because uh, they've hit this wall. Um, mm. They were overworking and they weren't taking care of their mental health and they weren't balancing work with their um, with their personal lives. So uh, it's yeah. an actual thing 
And, you know, it's actually good to be aware of it. I did a training session on it before, um, you know, understanding burnout and understanding the signs of, of seeing it as well. Um, so as a leader in my previous roles, you know, I was, I went through training to see, to understand if I actually saw signs in an employee or even in myself. Um, so uh, really, really important. Um, are there any specific daily habits or routines uh, that you, you know, that, that contribute, I suppose, to your productivity, Claire? Um, <clears throat> sorry, I'm smiling because I just posted this week about one of my favorite books. Uh, oh, great. Atomic Habits by James Clear. So I, can, I don't have shares in this company. I'm going to display it to you here. Uh, I like it. Uh, I like things that are pragmatic and real. Um, uh, someone who used to work with me um, recommended this to me, or recommended one of the concepts to me a few years back, which is it's a thing called habit stacking. So what's the thing that you do every day that you can stack the new habit that you want to instill on top of? So, for example, I was saying, God, it's so hard to find the time to exercise and all the rest. So I figured, right, once I drop the kids to wherever they're going, now what I do is I've got the tracksuit on me, do the crash and school run, dump the scooters in the front garden and keep going on a run. Because if I open that front door and see those breakfast dishes and the clothes on the floor and the washing machine half done and whatever, whatever, I end up doing housework. I'd much rather go for a run or a walk or a coffee or bump into a neighbor and have a chat because I work from home in my spare room and go mad. Online meetings all the time. That's much better for me than doing housework. Uh, so habit stacking, I find, is is good. And even um, so in work, I find uh, after I do a coaching session with the private client, I do a reflection. And sometimes I can struggle to sit down and do that because I've been listening intently for up to an hour and a half at times. Um, but I know if I don't do it there and then, I'll struggle to do it later. So what really works for me is for any that or anything else is putting time in the calendar, right? So I book in a session mm -hmm. for a client. I've got time before to do my preparation and I've got time after to do my mm -hmm. reflection. That also helps me price my coaching services accordingly because the client isn't paying for the hour and a half <laughs> my yep. time is the time before and the time after so when I'm a little afraid to ask for what is a reasonable price then I remind myself of the time that I'm putting in and I can physically see it in my calendar and I I actually use color codes on my calendar as well so client coaching sessions are a certain color marketing stuff is another color doing my accounts or whatever is another color so I can see how at a glance how I'm managing my time um or say discovery calls so you know meeting prospective new clients or things that I do for prospective new clients is another color so again I can see at a glance over a month am I spending enough time working mm. in the business and working on the business um what else what James Clear talks about in that book as well is around uh, identifying as a person who does something. So rather than say to yourself, I want to be fit, um, or say, sorry, let's do a work example. Let's say you work in marketing and you want to go into sales. Rather than saying to yourself, I want to work in sales, you say to yourself, I want to be a salesperson. So that makes your brain consciously and unconsciously start thinking about what are the things that a salesperson does. So a salesperson listens, talks the customer's language, um, 
understands the benefit of the product or service that they're selling from the customer's point of view and talks about that rather than the technical details mm-hmm. uh, and so on and so forth. So once you start identifying as the person that you want to be, you can start creating the habits and the actions and the thinking patterns that are associated with that more easily because it starts becoming a part of your identity. Right. That makes that's uh, yeah, that's that's pretty powerful. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. Um, and Claire, um, what is have you any sort of interview tips for anyone out there currently looking for work? Um, yes, I would say depending on what stage you are at in your career, certainly if you're mid career or later, you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. Mm-hmm. Even if the pressure is really on to find a role and, you know, finances are getting scary. Um, it's very difficult being in a job that you really don't enjoy or that don't match your skill set. There's a lot of pressure, a lot of anxiety, a lot of sleepless nights that comes with that. So trying to avoid that situation at all possible is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, trust your intuition, I'd say. Like trust those spidey senses, particularly if, you're being interviewed or on the panel is a person you're going to be working with directly. Like what's your gut telling you about that person, that rapport, that natural chemistry between two humans, whether it's online or whether it's in person. Um, and watch out for those red flags for the things that you don't want. Like you won't probably want this to be their job, but do watch out for those red flags. of oh, it didn't quite like they weren't really listening to me or this felt like a formality or sometimes, uh, client of mine recently was saying oh they they told me that it was a quite a lean operation and they kept using the word lean 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 mm. this client had come from a redundancy situation and they were saying I'm very sure that lean means jobs are stretched <laughs> very yeah. broadly and very thinly and they're under resourced and anyone coming in is expected not only to hit the ground running but to pick up loads of stuff outside of their job description and yes of course we do stuff outside of our job description but uh you know having your 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 antenna up for under-resourced teams um is an important thing um i certainly ramble or i'm prone to ramble um so having succinct examples of the things that you want to show like the great projects that you've done or the collaboration or the tell me about a time when you failed uh, type of questions, the examples that you're going to give to those, like write them out. There's various frameworks. There's the STAR method. There's the SOAR method. I really encourage people to write out seven or eight or nine examples of the different things and then slot them into appropriate interview questions. But practice it out loud. Stand in front of the mirror and say the words out loud because the words that you write down are often a bit too highfalutin and you wouldn't actually say it in the course of a normal conversation and articulating things out loud and boasting about your own achievements can feel unnatural to some people so practicing out loud even though it's awful even though it's uncomfortable do it there's lots of ai tools out there as well that you can talk to and they'll give you real-time feedback the ums and the ahs and the filler words how to cut them out or they might even suggest how you can turn 10 sentences into four more succinct ones and pull out the relevant details um uh but, but I, yeah talking out loud to yourself 
do it. Yeah, I think I, I do that myself. Even before interviews, I record myself and watch myself back. And even though it can be a bit uncomfortable listening to your own yeah. voice and watching yourself, yeah. you, you have to get and get to a comfortable space where you're you feel comfortable boasting about yourself and talking about yourself right um and that question in an interview that everyone usually gets you know tell me a bit about yourself you need to practice that and be able to uh give a good uh, rendition of your experience um and you know as you said practice makes perfect the more you practice it the better you get at it the more interviews you do the better you get at it um until you find you know your dream job so um, and the AI tools as well, they're becoming more common, uh, you mentioned there, um, you know, to, to take out the who's and the as and everything and get more information across to your interviewer in such a small amount of time, really. It's actually not that long a, a time to uh, explain all your experience. Um, I was going to say, final thing, final thought. There's a cruel irony that the skills that you need to do a great interview may not be the skills at all that you need to do a great job in that role. Yes. It can be two very different things, particularly if you're engineering or manufacturing or something like that. So even if you're brilliant at your job, you may need to pick up the skill of doing interviews. And anyone who's been hiring folks has been in that position where someone does a great interview. And then within an hour on the job, sitting at the desk beside you, you're like, oh, no, not a good fit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, that, that that's going to happen as well. Um but I think that's about being your authentic self in interviews, isn't it? Um, yeah. That if you yeah. are your authentic self, uh, you know, you'll get into a job and a culture and a business that you fit into. If you're not, then you'll realize six months in that this is not the role for you and uh, you weren't being your authentic self in interview. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's that's really, really important. Well, Claire, thank you so much for all the, that insight um, and, you know, uh, giving us some background about you and what you do. Uh, where can we find you, Claire, if uh, anyone's looking for you? Yeah, sure. Thank you. You can either find me on LinkedIn. I'm linked to you. Or you can find me at clairecarroll-coaching.com. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Claire, for being on the show. Really appreciate it. No, it's great. Time flew. Thanks very much, Owen. Thank you for listening to The Interview Expert. Make sure to check out our website, yourhire.ie, where you can subscribe to the show and also find out more interview tips and tricks. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Owen Murray is available for private coaching. See our website for details at yourheart.ie. Until next time, do good, feel good, and be good.